Welcome. This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and today our guest is Dr. Bhuvana Ramaswamy. Bhuvana is a breast cancer specialist, and she's also the chairperson of the Clinical Scientific Review Committee. This is a committee that oversees and approves all the clinical trials offered here at the James. And that's what we're going to talk about today, clinical trials, what they are, why they're so important in creating a cancer-free world, and some of the misconceptions people might have about clinical trials. Welcome, Bhuvana. Thank you so much, Steve. I'm so happy to be here today and talk about the most important thing we do here at the Breast Center and at the Cancer Center, and that's the clinical trials. Well, thank you for being here. And I'm going to start off with a quote from you in one of our previous interviews and discussions. And here's what you said back then. Every drug we use today was once part of a clinical trial, and we're curing more and more people because of clinical trials. So this just echoes what you just said, that clinical trials are the most important thing that's done at a comprehensive cancer center and cancer hospital. So what exactly is a clinical trial? What are they? So clinical trials are ways in which we test and hypothesis and prove a scientific concept. Broadly, that's what, that's what it is. Now, what is concerning that we're talking about today is about what we do for our cancer patients as far as treatment-related clinical trials. So they are one aspect of the multiple types of trials that we do. So when we talk about treatment-related clinical trials, what we do is we try to understand how best to treat a cancer. Now, it could be a new treatment, or it could be for a cancer that's already doing well, but we want to cure more patients, or you want to give them more new options. So either which way, our goal is to try to improve treatment options for cancer patients, either through development of new drugs that we would test under this clinical trials, or through combination of new drugs with an old drug and and improve outcomes, or take a drug that is used in a different cancer and now try it in this cancer because we have some ideas through our work in the lab and otherwise that it would work and test that theory with with uh, proving that or disproving that a drug would work, and that's is what is called as clinical trial. So every time there's a new drug, or a, a new a drug that's already been through clinical trials and approved by the FDA, right? Then if you're going to do it, use it for a new type of cancer, that goes through new clinical trials, or there can be combinations. So it's wow. So that encompasses a lot of different options for patients. Absolutely. It does. It does give us the patients a lot of options. It gives us as a scientific community and as a uh, community at large a way to improve the health of our patients. And these clinical trials are what will allow the FDA to approve a drug. Without a clinical trial, the FDA has no way to say, hey, this, this drug is safe. This drug should be used at this dose. This drug works in this type of cancer. And that's how a drug gets approved. And for those, for each one of those steps, we need a clinical trial. That it's safe and doesn't harm the person, that it does what it's supposed to do, and what's the dose to do it. Okay, so what is sort of the process of how a drug or go, goes from the lab into the, uh, a clinical trial? 
Sure. That is a very important question, and it is a very long process, and it is something that is uh, uh, complex but very critical for all of us to understand so that all stakeholders understand how difficult it is to do these trials and approve a drug. So the way this works, it starts with us trying to understand from patients how they do with a certain cancer and using the tissues they have or other kind of uh, models uh, that we have developed, we try to understand how best to treat that cancer. And that is by knowing what type of proteins, what type of signals are making that cancer aggressive. Then those basic scientists and clinical researchers who understand this try to develop a drug that would attack that protein or that signal. And we they then develop partnerships, which are very important with pharmaceutical companies to say this is a good target for this cancer, let's develop this drug. And as they develop this drug, this is again tested on different models, and then you understand that this works in those models. Now it's ready to what we call the first in human study, and those are called phase one trials. And before that gets to that patient, right, from now the investigators and all of that write a protocol and they say, hey, this is now ready, what we have is called a clinical scientific review committee that is part of every comprehensive cancer center. And this is what you're the chairperson of. This is what okay. I am. I have the privilege to be a chairperson of because this committee, which involves multiple different people in that committee, investigators, different cancer investigators and oncologists who see different cancers, biostatisticians who are very important when we think about trials and, and our any research, and we have pharmacists who are very critical as well as part of this uh, um, review process. And each one of them get to review a few trials per month, and we meet together, and they talk about this trial. They look at this trial specifically for scientific integrity, what does that mean? Is there enough data to do this study? Is it ready for it to go to the patients? Is there a rationale to go to the patients? We also, they also uh, make sure that it is a good scientific question. Does it even matter? Does, will it improve the lives of the patients that it is trying to address? And they will look at whether the study design, okay, you have a good question, we think it's, it's, it's worthy that there is enough data to move forward. They also ask the questions, is the design of the study going to answer that question? So they really look at, you know, the whole scientific rigor integrity. The, sci the biostatisticians look at, do we have enough number of patients that we're going to put in the study to be able to answer that questions? And then our pharmacists make sure there is no interactions. This is the right dose that they're saying, and all the safety part of it is right. So that is such an important aspect of what a comprehensive cancer center does and show the scientific integrity. And now once that is approved there, it goes to the institutional review board. And what do they do? Again, you have great investigators on all aspects of, uh, of, of uh, the cancer continuum or, or any disease continuum in that group. And they make a decision, is this an ethical question? Is the study written in such a way that it is fair and has equipoise and it's not hurting anybody and it has the opportunity to benefit people and is it transparent. And so, and they look at the consent form in specifically. Is the consent form honest, clear, 
will the patient be able to understand? Is every risk and uh, uh, all of those outlined? So really look at the ethical aspects. So people really know what's going to happen if they enter this clinical trial. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, that sounds like that should be very important, and it is. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when it goes to this... um, these process of your committee and then the internal review board, then it goes into phase one or was that phase one? So just to clarify, every study, whether it's a phase one, phase two, phase three study will go through this process. Okay. But we were talking about the first in human study and just as an example, and that's how as the protocol is written, it's going to go through the scientific committee and then the review committee. And then once it's approved, then it's going to go and, you know, the study will be open and you have a group of very well-trained clinical research coordinators, uh, the, the investigators and data coordinators who tried, you know, who accrue uh, to the study. But the same phase one, the phase one is to identify the safety and the dose of the drug. Once that's done, say a drug is successfully you know, passes through that and say it's safe and the dose is appropriate. Then we go to phase two of the study, uh, okay. which is a new study. So the whole process happens again, not as much in the lab, but writing the protocol, go through the scientific committee, go through the IRB and gets approved because now the question is different. Is it effective? So oh, okay. we're not asking dose and thing, we're asking is it effective and still monitoring the safety because more patients are going to go on to the study. And once that goes through and say it meets the goals of the study and say it is effective and whatever that goal was set, then it goes on to what's called a phase three study where this new drug or new combination is compared to the standard of care and say, is it either as good as that and it's a new new option or it's even better than the standard of care. And again, we continue to get more data about safety. So these are the kind of the three phase three, and often that phase three study needs to be very large. And then if it is large, it's called a registration study. And then the FDA would look at that and say, hey, you have enough data, you're showing it works, then they would approve the drug for common use. Okay. And just so I'm clear, there it, it seems like there's two ways this can happen. Uh, researchers here can create this new drug and have it go through the, your committees in the f- different phases? Or And don't you also uh, have clinical trials here that were initiated at other cancer centers or and at some of the uh, pharmaceutical companies? So they're coming from all these different directions, right? Absolutely. So the, the trial concept and the trial itself can start in multiple places. One, what we call as an investigator-initiated study in our own institutions. Ohio State investigators initiate the study. Even if the drug is coming from elsewhere, the, it is their idea that this drug would work uh, in this cancer in this way, and they would you know, start this new trial, and it's called an investigator-initiated trial. We could also get you know, someone from, say, for example, MD Anderson could have a trial and they opened it there and say, hey, we would like to open it here. And that's called an institutional study from another institution. The other sources are obviously industry or pharma would open a study in multiple places and we would open that as well. The other though key study that I want to talk about is called these cooperative group studies, where you know, we have the cancer program as such, the NCI has created multiple comprehensive cancer centers and other 
community cancer centers, be part of these cooperative groups which do these large studies, and, and we are all part of it, I would tell you that that has changed the needle so much because we all work together with a common concept and common goals, and we would accrue to those studies as well in, 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 in at Ohio State and other comprehensive So three, four, centers. five or more comprehensive cancer centers work together, and it goes faster and better. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with Dr. Ramaswamy. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At the James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. Pelotonia is driven by their vision, a world where we are all healthier and empowered to live our best lives, lives filled with hope and possibility. In only nine years, the Pelotonia community, through their annual cycling event, has raised more than $157 million to accelerate funding for innovative cancer research at the James. The Pelotonia community knows that when we push ourselves individually and as a community, we can achieve great things. As Pelotonia celebrates their 10th anniversary, Pelotonia wants you to be part of making this vision a reality. To learn how you can get involved, please visit pelotonia.org. That's P-E-L-O-T-O-N-I-A.org. Let's change the world together. We're back. This is the James Cancer Free World podcast, and our guest is Dr. Bhuvana Ramaswamy, and we're talking about the importance of clinical trials. And uh, Bhuvana, from what I understand, the James offers an amazing and varied amount of clinical trials. How, how many are do you offer? I would say approximately we offer about 300 to 350 cancer clinical trials at a time. Obviously, trials close and new trials open, right. and so that the portfolio changes, but we have a lot of clinical trials open at a time. And that would be one of the highest numbers in the country, I would assume. I would absolutely think it's up, up there on the top. And that means that no matter what kind of cancer someone has, the odds are pretty high that if they're eligible and would be helped by a clinical trial, it would be offered here. Absolutely. So. That is the whole idea of opening so many different studies because it would fit into more number of patients and their situations and their cancer. And that's the goal. That's the goal. <laughs> and I think, th- I think some people might have some misconceptions about clinical trials. And I think the first and perhaps biggest one is that it's a last resort for people who have no other treatment options. And if they weren't on this clinical trial, then their, their outcome would just be really, really bad. But is that true? Absolutely not. And you're so right about that misconception. And it's not just this misconception is not just in patients and people who are not actually, you know, very closely involved with medicine. I actually think this misconception is often among even among physicians that, oh, we'll try all these. And if it doesn't work, we'll look for a clinical trial. But that is really not the case. You know, I would say that a clinical trial, a cancer clinical trial is the best care that you can provide for your patient. So if there is such an option, if 
for your situation, for an individual patient situation that is a clinical trial that is available, it is very important to look at that option as your first option. Now, you might decide not to do it for various reasons. Some of it may be logistics, but that is really the best care you can provide for your patients. And it, that sort of goes to the whole idea of no routine cancer, that you just can't say, this person has this cancer, this is what we do. You look into all those options. If the clinical trial seems to be like it's going to have the best results, you can do that as your first line of treatment. Yes, you can. For example, I can tell you that most recently we were involved in, 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 a, in a clinical trial and that got that uh, drug approved as well. Um, it's called ribocyclib. It is a CDK inhibitor. It's a type of uh, um, a drug that targets uh, a kinase called CDK kin- uh, C- cyclin D kinases in breast cancer. This group is now lately been a very successful group of drugs that is helping breast cancer patients. And, you know, at which part of the journey does it help, this drug helps the patients best is actually first-line treatment for stage 4 breast cancer patients. So imagine if a stage 4 breast cancer patient, first-line treatment, there are many treatment options already available, decides, I'll never go on the study because, you know, I have other options. We would have never found out that this drug actually is the best option. So it is so important to really have this discussion with your oncologist and ask for clinical trial options and discuss the pros and cons, I think, is a critical aspect of best cancer care. So so that drug that you just said, say it again, ribocyclic. At one point in clinical trials, some women were getting that as their first line of treatment. You compiled all the data and found that in that that works better in some in a certain amount of cases. And now it's been FDA approved. And that is now the first line of treatment for a lot of women and is saving lives. Yes, so that's it's, a absolutely. It's a first line. It's a first line option right now for stage four metastatic for, okay. uh, breast so very, cancer patients. Uh, but it is absolutely these drugs seem to be you know improving the uh, patients' outcomes and and uh, there is no way we would have a- answered that question if we don't pay, put patients on those studies. That, okay, that's a perfect example. I think another misconception. Uh, in cancer treatment clinical trials is that some patients get placebos where they're, they're no treatment at all, and, and, and that's not true, is it? No. So this is, again, a second you, you know, common misconception. Am I going to just get a placebo when I have cancer and I have progressive cancer and need treatment? No. Patients do not get placebo alone when there is a treatment option for that cancer. So there is only one way in cancer trials you actually get a placebo is when you are going to, the study drug, let's call it study drug A, is being combined with standard of care treatment. So one arm would be standard of care treatments plus study drug A. The other arm would be standard of care treatment plus placebo, because you want uh, to show that the study drug A is better. But they you don't both... Know, you don't know yet. Exactly, that you have to prove it. So, exactly. And, but, okay, and in some cases, it may not. Absolutely. So, okay, so that's, I think that's an important point, because you haven't proven that this new study drug will improve the outcomes, and, and until you do, you don't know... You, 
you can't give it to everyone. Absolutely. And these things have happened before. So we've had, yeah. I talked about phase one, phase two. We've had uh, drugs that looked great on, you know, phase two, and we then take it to phase three and combine it or compare it with standard of care, and they didn't pan out. So it is important to these to do these step-level studies, and, and at, at no point would a patient's outcomes be jeopardized by going on a study. And there is always transparency. There is, uh, there is uh, never a lack of transparency and equipoise and beneficence are, 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 are uh, pillars of our clinical research. Okay. How do you see, as you look down the road in, in either clinical trials that have you excited and in your area of expertise, breast cancer, or just in whole other areas, some of the, I know, immunotherapy we've talked about with some other doctors here. What's kind of sort of the next steps or the next big things that you see coming that are going to be proven in clinical trials? fascinating uh, nitty gritty stuff is where we're going. So it's kind of interesting, um, you know, this this whole changes over the last two decades or maybe three decades, because initially we were taking medications or anti-cancer therapies that would impact a lot of patients, a lot of patients with a certain type of cancer. And yes, we've made some tremendous impact and we moved the needle. But now we're coming down to the nitty gritty part, meaning to say we're trying to get to that personalized, you know, therapy. In So what would happen then is it really may not even matter what type of cancer you have, but what might matter more is what is going on within your cancer cell, what is making your cancer tick. Now, and we do we have a drug that can block that that protein that making your cancer grow or making your cancer tick, and that may be in four different types of cancer. Lung cancer might have that, breast cancer might have that, and maybe gastric or stomach cancers may have that protein. So we're getting to that nitty-gritty part. We're trying to understand really those proteins that change in the tumors and trying to attack them. So we may be kind of moving away from breast cancer, lung cancer, uh, brain cancer to, hey, this cancer has this particular protein, doesn't matter where it came from, can we treat it? So I think we call them boutique trials or, uh, you know, trials that really, irrespective of where the cancer started, is really dictated by the protein. So I think we're going to see changes there. We're going to see some changes with vaccine therapies and immune uh, immune modulating or changing your own immunity uh, kind of therapies that come along. Those will take a kind of a different approaches. But all I can say is I think we are continuously moving forward and we're really trying to get to that patient and really look at that patient's personalized therapies. None of this would be possible if not for the patients and their families who are willing to participate in these studies. And without that, we would be nowhere. We could have concepts, we could have new drugs, we could have great ideas and the ability to do it. But if patients don't trust us and are willing to sometimes travel far distances for these studies and and be part of these clinical trials, we would have moved no needle. We couldn't have cured any cancer. So I'm most grateful to patients and families. Thanks. That's a great point. And thank you for being here. Thank you again. appreciate that. And maybe you'll come back and fill us in on some of the new advances that some of these clinical trials have brought to people. Would love to do that, Stephen. Thank you so much.
This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.